0: Lord, we just thank for this evening. We thank for each person that's here. We ask that you lead and guide as we look at your word and, and continue to look at these sacrifices and the, the, the worship that you ordained and for the Jews. And we just thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, Chapter 5 of Leviticus. We're getting ready to start the trespass offering. And the trespass offering is going to be for a lot of chapters. <laughs> Because God gives all kinds of different examples of trespasses and what to do if you make a trespass. So we'll be doing the trespass offering for a while. So we're going to start at verse 1. We'll read a few few uh, verses. in chapter 5. Yes. Leviticus 5. I think I did say so you 15. Have said five instead of five. <laughs> I think I did say 15. We're on chapter 5. Now that I've well, got everybody five, totally we confused, to, we're getting ready yeah. to read. Chapter 5. Yeah. We did two chapters last three, week. Four, Verse 1. And if a soul sin and hear the voice of swearing and is a witness, whether he has seen or known of it, if he does not utter it, then he shall bear his iniquity. And if a soul touch any unclean thing, whether it be a be a carcass of an unclean beast or a carcass of an unclean beast, cattle, or of the carcass of an unclean creeping thing, or if it be hidden from him, he also shall be unclean and guilty. And if he touch the uncleanness of man, whatsoever uncleanness it is, that man shall be defiled wherewithal, and it be hid from him, when he knows it, he shall be guilty. Or if a soul swear, pronouncing with his lips to do evil or to do good, whatsoever it is that a man shall pronounce with an oath, and it be hid from him, when he knoweth it that then he shall be guilty of one of these. And it shall be when he shall be guilty of one of these things that he shall confess that he has sinned in that thing. He shall bring a trespass offering unto the Lord for his sin, which he, which he has sinned, a female from the flock, a lamb or a sheep kid of the goats for a sin offering. And the priest shall make an atonement for him concerning his sin. And if he be not able to, to bring a lamb, then he shall bring for his trespass, which he has committed, two turtle doves, or two young pigeons, in, unto the Lord, one for a sin offering, and the other for a burnt offering. And he shall bring them unto the priest, who shall offer that which is for the sin offering first, bring off his head from his neck, and it shall, but shall not divide it asunder. And he shall sprinkle the blood of the of the sin offering upon the side of the altar, and the rest of the blood shall be wrung out at the bottom of the altar. It is a sin offering. And he shall offer the second bur- second for burnt offering according to the manner of the priest. Shall make an atonement for him for his sin which he has sinned, and it shall be forgiven him. And one more for here. And if he doesn't, if he is not able to bring two turtle doves or two young pigeons, then he shall bring. Uh, he that sins shall bring for his offering a tenth part of an ephah of fine flour for a sin offering he shall put no oil upon it neither shall he put any frankincense thereon for it is a sin offering then shall he, he bring it to the priest and the priest shall take his handful of it even a memorial thereof and burn it on the altar according to the offerings made by fire unto unto the Lord that is a sin offering and the priest shall take, make an atonement for him as touching his sin that he has sinned in these things in one of these and it shall be forgiven him, and the remnant shall be the priest as a meat offering. All right, we're going to stop there. Some of this might sound familiar because there's elements of burnt offerings and meal offerings that we're going to be looking at in the practice. We're going to start at verse 1. And if a a soul sin, and hear the voice of swearing, and is a, a witness, whether he has seen it or known of it, if he does not utter it, he shall bear his iniquity. And this is kind of an interesting thing. We're looking at the guilt, the, the, the trespass offering, the guilt offering, its restoration for the God. But he says, if he hears somebody make an oath, swearing, it's not saying cursing here, but he makes an oath and he hears the voice of it and, and is a witness, whether he has seen it or, or known of it, and he utters it not, he shall bear his iniquity. This is kind of an interesting place because this is talking about how God looks at truth. If you know something and don't tell it forth, God considers that you're lying. It's a sin of omission rather than commission. Omission means something that you didn't do. Okay? And if you've ever been around a lawyer in a court, usually your lawyer wants you to say as little as possible. They'll advise you You know, answer only what they ask and give no more information than what you are asked. And basically they're telling you to lie by omission. Okay, you know that some of these things are true, but he says if they don't ask you, you don't tell. And God is saying, you don't tell, then you've lied. And this is kind of an interesting place because God's standard is so high that his standard for truth is to be proactive. Um, and you know, when we were younger and our parents would ask us, did you do such and such? You know, and they didn't ask it in quite the right way to make you know that you, you know, they didn't quite ask you exactly what you did and you go, no. And you felt like, well, I didn't lie. They didn't ask me, you know, they asked me if I went to this person's house. They didn't ask me if I went to that person's house. And you know, in other words, you're saying, they didn't ask me all my friends, I don't have to say yes until I get to the right friend. And God's saying, no, that's a lie. And so this is somebody who can be guilty and of not uttering truth because he doesn't, he or she does not speak the entire truth. And it's opposite of our jury system and our and our legal system. It's, it's opposite of what the flesh wants to do. The flesh wants to keep as much hidden as possible. And God's saying, you're my children, you're to be truthful. Well, If he he hears the voice of swear and he don't witness it, he hasn't seen it, then he's got to tell it? Even it says right here, whether he has seen it or known, uh, known that it actually was done. Now, we want to get this idea of this isn't just everything. This is when somebody says, I am going to do such and such, or I swear to God, I'm going to do such and such. Okay. It goes to our... In the older days there used to be this attitude of if you make a promise you fulfilled it even if it hurt you yeah okay i still believe it too i mean there's but there's people that'll make a promise to their child you know saturday we're gonna we're gonna go to the amusement park and friday a big deal is going to be needs to be you know handled on saturday and because they want the money they tell the kids sorry we're not going to the amusement park you know after they had promised them and you know God is saying that kind of thing is not right. That is I not think that's the worst thing they can do. Oh it, show it is. The child do something and they them. But it's wrong no matter what you do. Mm-hmm. It's wrong no matter what you do because people will do it all the time. No. They'll make an agreement to go out, you know, camping or something and then, you know, somebody comes up with tickets to a big ball game and say, "No, I'm not going camping. I'm going to the I'm going with my other buddy to the ball game, you know, or you know, take your pick on what would, you know, pull you away from it, but it happens all the time that these kind of things happen where a better offer comes along so you just kick the other person aside. Fine, I'll go to the ball game, you go camping. That would be fine by me. Because <laughs> I don't really like most ball games. I like, I've gone like like to like four baseball games and I've slept through all four of them. They were just so boring. I love basketball. Yeah. Basketball, but only have <laughs> I watch the bulls, and of course they've key players now. Yeah. Like the All right. Verse two. If a, if a soul touch any unclean thing, whether it is a carcass of an unclean beast or a carcass of an unclean cattle, or the carcass of an unclean creeping thing, and if it be hidden from him, he also shall be unclean and guilty. Okay. Now this is the idea. Now. If you're familiar with the laws, and we're going to get more into the laws as we go in, but if they were to touch anything that was dead, they were unclean. They had to go and wash themselves and wash their clothes, and they were considered unclean until night. And he's basically saying, even if you touched it without knowing it, you were unclean. Okay, and how that may happen. They would not wrong sin until they realize what they did. In this case he's saying you're unclean right from the beginning. Yeah. Now when he gets later on he's gonna say that when you when it becomes when you become aware of it, you're to offer your sacrifice. And that would be you stick your hand down and you touch something without knowing that you touched it and then later on you when you clean up you find out that underneath this blanket was a dead yeah. dead mouse or something, you know, and, and you, you may have touched it, you will consider yourself un you know unclean and make the offering those Jews had a hard way to go again. They had a lot of rules. But if you think about this, touching dead things is not the wisest thing because you don't know what they died or how they died. Uh, there's, you know, the ideas of disease and infection. Uh, so it was for their protection that God put these things on there. Now we understand now why God did a lot of this stuff. And when they followed these rules, and they did follow, the Jews did follow these rules. In the Middle Ages, during the Black Plague, because they followed all the rules that God said to follow, like if a mouse ran across your your plates, you had to go back and wash them, or if they couldn't be washed, you had to destroy them. Uh, they did not get the plague because they had all these rules that God put them that were sanitary conditions. And you know, we think we think it would be awful. You know, a mouse ran over our dishes. We you know. We now know clean your dishes, but in that day they didn't. It was not that big a deal to them because they had animals running around their house. You know, they just, you know, serve their food on the plate that had been contaminated. Then they'd get sick. And, but God had all these rules out there that, you know, and when we look at why, you know, it makes sense. Now, yeah, it, it's hard because, you know, not only did you have to wash everything, but then you had to offer these sacrifices and, and you were unclean. You couldn't go touch anybody or anything. and. And, and all of that, yeah, there was more to it than just the, the sanitizing. Well, the worst thing that I can remember on the farm was a bat. A bat? Now, we had to stay away from bats, and I don't know why. A lot of them have rabies. But that was one thing we were not to try to catch. A touch, if we caught out on the ground, we were not. And yeah, they tend to bite and a lot of times they have rabies. It was a yeah, and they're, they're an unclean animal. And my grandfather hated pigeons cause they were messy in the barn. Yeah. But we could catch them, but we could touch your back. My daughter calls pigeons uh, flying rats. <laughs> she does, He hates those things. They like, kind of pretty but they're they are dirty birds. Well, all dirt, all birds are dirty so it's, it's what they call it, So, but anyway, any anything that was dead and you touched it, you were unclean. And you were unclean for at least until nightfall. And that was the idea that if you were going to get sick, you know, it gave you time to have this have symptoms show up. And you were not allowed to be touched by anybody else. As well, because you were unclean and whatever you had might have been transferred over to them. And this is part of what God says when he, you know, when, when he talks about being unclean, it's a lot to do with our uh, picture of us as spiritually. Somebody who is an active sinner that, that, you know, is not just falling into sin, but living a sinful lifestyle draws people into their sin. It's going to happen. You see it every time. If somebody is a thief, if people that are close to them will be drawn into their world. Uh, whether they come in as, as spotters or actual participants or, you know, to give them alibis, they're drawn into their world. And liars do the same thing. You see, you know, liars draw people into their world with their lies. And sin does this. Sexual sins get, draw people into them. And God is saying, you know, from these pictures, is if you're unclean even from sin, then you should be isolated from other believers because you don't want to draw them into that sin. And that is the problem that we're having in our day and age where everything is okay, you know, you know it's no big deal and we, you know, and everybody can do it and it's not, you know, and a lot of churches don't even speak against sin. Why were they always unclean to even and after they? themselves. because it just gave them time it gave them it gave things time to happen you know you've you touch the animal the is, and we still do it today we quarantine for a, you know for a period of time which is usually a short time you know usually a short time and uh, you know and it's usually 12 to 24 hours just to see you know, did that person get sick and it's that same mentality you know a short time you're gonna to go to bed in the evening and, and you gotta remember back in those days when the sun went down, you pretty much went to bed. Candles co- candles cost a lot of lot to burn, oil lamps cost a lot to burn. So unless you had something really important to do, the sun went down, you went to bed, so you gained twelve hours right there of, of quarantine time as well, because their day started at the evening and you know, so you gained another twelve hours. So you you know, it was somewhere between 12 to 24 hours that you were quarantined in God's standards. And so that's why it was till the evening. Uh, so, but it is that idea. I mean, even for today, I mean, there's certain diseases that they look at and say, okay, we need to, your quarantine's a little longer. But in general, you're just quarantined for a short time. You know, you got bit. Is it going to get infected? Is it going to, you know, are you going to show some signs of something? And, uh, you know, We have a little more knowledge now of how long a quarantine should be depending on what went wrong because we know rabies takes this long to to develop. You know, if something had, you know, some kind of fever, it would take, you know, this long. Uh, If you're, and usually if you think about that, if you're exposed to somebody with a cold, usually about 24 hours later, you know whether you got the cold or not. You know, it's, can it go to two or three days? Yeah, it can, usually within 24 hours, you know whether you've got <laughs> that I disease. I don't I don't have no incubation doctor. Do you have an EpiPen in case you yeah, ever get stuck? Right then, okay, that was good to know. I mean, it, it starts red and puffy right then. Well, it's good to know that you have one so that we know if you ever get stung, we need to find your EpiPen and get you taken care of. And mine is a little different than you buy regularly because I'm allergic to it. Okay. So it it has to be be the the one that you bought. (laughs) All right. Verse 3. And if you touch an uncleanness of man, whatsoever uncleanness it is, it be that that man shall be defiled wherewithal and it be hid from him, when he knoweth it, he shall be guilty. Now, this is kind of an interesting thing. This uncleanness of man is any of the things that make a man unclean, all right? It can be that they touched a dead thing. Uh, this also goes into women. It could be that they've just had a child and they're still within the cleansing period. Period For a woman, it could be that they're in menstruation. It could be that they have a running sore, you know, a sore that's and oozing is coming out Nobody wants to touch you shouldn't you and you don't want to but it that it these are the rules that God put in there you know if they're a sinner doing misdeeds and it's well known they're they are unclean um, if they're an idolater if they're not participating in their feast celebrations if you didn't participate in the Passover celebration you were considered unclean okay so there's all kinds of things men can do to be unclean which then makes it easy that if they don't tell you they're unclean, you could touch somebody who's unclean and not know it. Okay? Because, if, you know, when they're unclean, they're supposed to be announcing, unclean, stay away. But I can guarantee that many of them, unless they were leprous, leprous or anything, but you know, they were probably those who weren't trying to say, hey, I'm unclean, because they didn't want that stigma attached to them. You know, they got a running sword, it's hidden by their, hidden by their garment, nobody knows it's there, you know and they're not announcing that they're unclean. They're guilty by not announcing they're unclean, and they're infecting people that aren't knowing that they're getting infected. And so God says that if it happens and you didn't know about it, as soon as you know about it, you need to now make the sacrifice because you are guilty. And this is kind of an interesting thing. God says that even if you don't know something, that you've done something wrong, you can still be guilty. And that's kind of an interesting, Jesus talked about a lot about that when he changed the, you know, the, the Ten Commandments from you know, the actual doing to thinking them, saying that you're guilty. You know, he's really saying that there's, you know, when God looks at it, there's a lot more depth to guilt than what we think of. We just think, well, as long as I don't do something, I'm okay. The very first sentence says that if you don't tell something that you know, then you're guilty of lying. Okay, so God's standard is so much higher. And this is why when we get into God's word and we start really seeing how, we, how much sin is in our life and how guilty we are. Now, We've talked about this a couple of times. Paul said that you know, he was the chiefest of sinners. And you look at his life and outside of going and trying to kill Christians, which was bad, you know, he was a Pharisee and he was a Pharisee of Pharisees. As far as the law went, he kept the law. But as God started showing him, you know how much more it was than just the the letter of the law. It was the way he thinks. It was the going after Christians. It was, you know, being you know being lazy once in a while. You know, I'm sure Paul was you know was probably lazy like all humans are, at various points in his life. You know, so it's. I picture him in the beginning of being a up And the more he knew about God, the more he realized what a sinner he was and i've been, and i've seen the same thing as i've progressed with god you know i i used to be like i'm you know i'm okay i'm not really that bad i haven't smoked drank dr- drugs gone gone out, you know gotten running around with people but the more that i study god's word and the more i see his moral his his moral purity the more i realize how imperfect i am And hopefully we all will do that. The more we get into his word, and the more we see his his standard, the more we see how imperfect we are. And then the more we see how imperfect we are, the more grace and mercy we will have on others. Hopefully we don't drive into self-righteousness and say, oh, you're a sinner, stay away from me. Hopefully we start seeing, man, I am a really bad sinner. Even Even so, compared to some people, I don't really appear. I know I'm a sinner. And then we reach out to other people and draw them up because we really start to understand none of us are good. And this is where we've got to get to the point. I hate when people say, why do bad things happen to good people? Because in God's eyes, there's no such thing as a good person because we're all sinners. We're all sinners. He looks at us as Christians because we're forgiven and sees his son. And he says, there's my perfect children. But it's not because of anything I have done or that we have done. It's because he's looking down and saying, they are clothed in Christ. They are they are submerged in my son. They are being changed by my son. They are perfect. And the, the thing about heaven, the world wants to say that good people go to heaven. And that is not a true statement. Good people don't go to heaven. Forgiven people go to heaven all right you can be the best person in the world and as long as you've committed one sin and you have because the Bible tells us you have you know if all you did in your entire life was commit one sin and nobody's that perfect but if there was that one sin would send them to hell and they've got to understand that and you know so it's amazing for us to the more we get into God's Word the more we see his standard of perfection is necessary Any comments before we move to verse 4? Verse 4. Or if a soul swear, and again this is to make an oath, pronouncing with his lips to do evil or to do good, whatsoever it is that that man shall pronounce with his oath, with an oath, and it be hid from him, when he knows of it he shall be guilty of in one of these. Now, I've studied and and was kind of doing this. Uh, One of the things about this oath is that it's a rash oath. Okay, making, you know, speaking just foolishness without even thinking about it. Uh, And the example I was thinking about that when I was reading through this was, if you remember Japheth, the judge, he went out to battle and then he said, God, you know, if you give me victory, whatever comes out of my house to greet me, I will make a sacrifice. That was a rash oath because he had no idea who would come out. And as you, if you know the story, the person that came, it was a person who came out. You know, he probably figured it would be his pet dog or you know, some pet that would run out of the house and greet him first before the family. It turned out to be his only daughter. Okay. Uh, which meant that he had to make a substitute sacrifice for her, but she went, went to be a, a servant in the temple and, and had to live in virginity the rest of her life as a servant in the temple. But this is that rash oath, you know, I'm just going to make a promise and not thinking about the consequences. And j might have technically been a good, good oath, but it really wasn't because it was rash because he didn't know. His better oath would have been, God, you know, give me victory and I will make a sacrifice to you when I return home. And that would have been a good pledge. But again, God says... Whether it's good or bad, whether it's to do good or bad, he expects us to keep our word, and this is kind of a hard thing, you know, to make a bad promise. And God says, "I expect you to keep that promise as well." Uh, then you'd have to offer sacrifices for your bad promise. But you know, if you don't keep it, then you're offering a sacrifice for not keeping your word, which in God's mindset is probably worse. Okay, because if you look at what God says, He hates. He hates lying lips. He hates gossip. Now. We, if we as humans were making up the list of things we hate it would be murderers, thieves, uh you know you know what all we these call big sins? all these big you know, what do we call those big sins the the, the ones that you know the god's saying you know god's big sins are a lot different from our big sins, and when you think about it they, god's big sins make a lot of sense gossip is. A murdering of that person at a spiritual level, not physical, but at a spiritual level. When you gossip about something, when you lie, there's a there's a murder murderous intent in there. You're murdering the truth. You're you're destroying things. I said something to somebody on Sunday. I said we need to get together and pray for this person, and I didn't say what it was about. I did say, and she says that's a good idea. Hmm? And this is where it's hard for us as Christians is we have to be careful when we're praying about something. Are we really truly praying for them to be better off, or are we? You know, Christians are real good about gossiping under the guise of we need to pray about so and so. Do you know what? The, yeah, let me tell you about what they've done. No, that's um, not what was. said. I know, I know. I'm not saying <laughs> that said that, but we as Christians do that a lot. Uh-huh. You know, a lot of times you if you, you start hearing prayer requests, and it's like okay, this person needs to stop gossiping because that's what they're doing. Uh, And we do cloak our prayer requests. And let me tell you everything you need to know so you can... No, we don't need to know everything because God knows what it is that they've done. We just need to put them in front of God and say, God, this person needs your help. And let it go there. Because we don't need to know all all the sin involved in that person's life. Well, it does make you. You don't want all the intimate details on it. People are nosy. And sometimes, you know, when you're asking for prayer for somebody who's sick, it is it, kind of a question. Do you tell people what's sick? And I'm not so worried about sicknesses, but I am worried when somebody says, you know, you need to pray for so-and-so because they're, you know, and you start listening out all these things that are totally not not relevant for them to know. Um, but it says, If that soul swear and pr- pronouncing with his lips to do evil or good whatsoever it is, that man shall pronounce or, or with the oath, and it be hid from, his, from him, when he knoweth of it, he shall be guilty of it. And this would be something of, you know, when this happens, I'm going to do this. Okay? And I don't know when it happens. So, you know, but as soon as I know that it happened, then my, my oath has to be fulfilled. And I'm guilty of the time in between of not fulfilling it. So this is, again, God is looking at honesty here. God is saying He wants us to be honest. It is better not to make a vow before God, and and uh, you know, than to break it. So I tend to not make vows because I don't want to be guilty of having to break something for something. Uh, and so, and even when my kids were growing up, as long as I'm not going to work, we're going to do something. On this day, I, I made sure I put the condition so that they knew what it was that could stop it. And that's important. And God is saying that you know, we need to be careful. He's looking for honesty. He's looking for honest people. Why? Because He is honest. He's going to tell you what it, what, what's involved. Verse 5. And, when, and it shall be when he shall be guilty of one of these things, any of the first four verses that we've been talking about, he shall confess that he has sinned in that thing. And this is something we want to look at, confession. Now, confession is very important for us. 1 John 1.9 says, If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us of all unrighteousness. God wants confession. So I'm going to throw out a question. What is confession? Telling your sins. Telling your sins. Okay. Tell somebody you're, you're gossiping <laughs> your, your sin, that you, the gossip of yourself. Or. That is the first step in, in confession. To tell your sins is the first step. Of what you've done. Of confession. Most importantly, and I, it, I love it, in, it's, a, it's almost apparent in Hebrew, but in Greek it's very apparent. Whoa. Oh. The the word in Greek for confess is homologeo, which means to say the same thing as. Okay, God wants us to say I have sinned, and agree with Him that it is sin. You know, I, I watched a movie one time, and uh, was, actually it wasn't a movie; it was MASH, and and the, the priest on there goes, you know, you're you're not confessing; you're bragging. <laughs> right. You know. And so you want to be careful. Just saying the sins is not necessarily confessing. Uh, you know, it is agreeing with God that it is a sin and it is worthy of punishment. And that's what confession is. And that's why when we confess to God, and we only have to confess to God, we don't have to confess to one another or to a, to a priest or a pastor. It is, confession is to God. It opens up the channels and says, yes, God, I know that I have sinned and I agree that it's a sin. If we do not confess it before God, then we're hiding it. And Satan uses hidden sins against us really big. Because he'll keep coming in and go, if people really knew who you were, you know, and all the things you do and they'll make you feel so bad and people will stay away from church forever because Satan attacks them for hidden sins. And that's why it's important that we put the sins out before God and say, God, I am putting this out. And I would go far enough to say that you need somebody in your life that maybe that can say they know your sins so they're not hidden. And, you know, but you want to make sure it's somebody who's not going to hold them against you and, and remember them for the rest of your life. Yeah, and, by a big mistake, I've done. You know, because you tell it to the wrong person, then that doesn't work. Uh, but you need to always talk to God about them. You know, and if you have somebody that you can honestly be transparent with, it's good that a human knows about it because, that, and because they'll show you that you can still be loved. And it's important. But not everybody can handle that responsibility because there are certain people that just aren't forgiving enough to be able to hear your, hear your, your sins and, and not hold them against you. Uh, and we all know people that don't. You know, we all have met at least one or two people who have, who will not forgive, uh, and there. I, I, I feel sad for them uh, because they're losing so much fellowship, and they're not loving people the way they should because of that bring desire. The past, the past, the and the in, past is always brought up. Throw it in my face. I, mean, I have to hear about it for 20 years, 30 years about so stuff that's happened 40 years ago. Just my language. You're not getting remember what happened yet. <laughs> and she's saying that my vocab, or they say that my vocabulary isn't up to par. It right? should so be a lot better for the education I've had. It doesn't matter. And I... It is what it is. Yeah, my vocabulary is not as proper as Yeah. As well, then i or you know, whatever, it's just as an example of... My... But see, you've got to be careful not to let them put you down and let you get your, get yourself wrapped up in that either. So no, that's... because, you I... know what, I say it's the stupidest, dumbest and I know better, I shouldn't do that, but I, I do this to aggravate, and that's wrong, and I've been trying to not do that so much... That's it, but I know, you know, and I can say some rather dumb things, we all can, Mm -hmm. and the most important thing that we want to do is be careful because when we let somebody who's unforgiving about something we've done, you know, affect us, we're giving them a lot of power that they don't deserve. All we can do is try to do our best to say, you know, would you please forgive me and just leave it at that because it's in their in their ballpark? Uh, because there are some people that aren't going to forgive you, and there's people that are going to forgive you, and then there's some people that forgive you even before you've asked. And they, and when you remind them that you know that you think you've done something wrong to them, they're they're going to look at you and usually they've learned to just say, "I forgive you," even though they don't remember it. And I'm real big about that. And people will come up and say, "Forgive me, I did something to you," you know, weeks ago or months ago, and I kind of. Okay, and I've learned to just say, "All right, I forgive you," because I usually don't remember what they're talking about. Uh, you know, because that is just how I think. Uh, but the important thing is that we don't let people control us, because God doesn't want to let them have that control. But Satan will try to use them to get under our under us and bring us down because of that unforgiveness. And you just said something that I just realized. This is one for you. control Yeah. That is what the purpose of unforgiveness is, is for trying to control. They want to control you with their unforgiveness. And so we need to just say, God, it's in your hands. I can't control their unforgiveness and, and go forward from there. You call me every morning. Watch your book right? <laughs> saw you outside, what was you doing? And I try to lift this off, but sometimes I don't even, yeah. I don't know how to handle this. So I am um, nude, and it just pulled me right into. Yeah, and it's, it's not easy, I'm, I'm gonna tell you, it's not easy to ignore people that are not being forgiven, especially if you want to have a relationship with them. It's easy to ignore them if you don't care whether you have a relationship with them or not. But if you're having, if it's somebody who you'd like to have a relationship and, you know, and they're not forgiving, it's hard to, to not let them control you, but you can't let them control escalates you. It escalates to a screaming and yelling. Session. Well, you never should let that happen. Well, it does. Well, this person yeah. of screaming and me. they just know every move yeah. mm-hmm. I make. Yeah. Call call um, I call it hovering. Yeah. Do they hover you and watch you remove your name? Yeah. That. I told her God's <laughs> gonna give me a boyfriend that Now that's wrong. Yeah, that's. Tell just tell him God's got got you well under control. So. But I I know it, it's hard. It is hard to deal with some of those people that want to. And I don't want to be. unfortunately sometimes you just have to be blunt saying I, I'm not worried about what you think and, and leave it at that because as the more you want that relationship the more control they can have out, over you if you're willing to sacrifice that that set, you know your side of that relationship until they get get right with God and See, I don't have a whole lot of problem because I'm willing to sacrifice just about every relationship because I'm not going to let somebody have that kind of control over me. Uh, But that's partially because of how I was raised. I moved every, I I was a new kid everywhere I ever was at. So I just got to a place where I didn't care about people that much because I wasn't going to be there next year. It's a little harder nowadays that I stay around places longer. But in my younger days, when I started forming these attitudes, it was I was going to be, you know, you didn't like me, so what? I'm not going to be here in twelve months. Well, I'm not going to be here. Yeah. I said I thought I just got that way when I got old. <laughs> uh, but you know, it doesn't bother me if they like Yeah. Okay. Now I I will say I prefer to be liked. I yeah, I like yeah. to be liked, but it doesn't uh, hurt my feelings. When I was a manager it served me real well. I don't like you. I'm not here to be liked, you know. That was my attitude, you know. Yeah, it was like Yeah, you know, I'm here to get a job done. It doesn't matter, you know, whether you like me or not, you know. And that was where my personality came out real big for the, for those years, you know, because it didn't matter to me at all. Uh, nowadays I'd like to be a little more liked as a pastor. I'd like to be liked a little more than in the past <laughs> days. But, but uh, but it is important that we don't let people control us because that's, God doesn't want them to have that much. You know, he is the only one that should be controlling us. And sometimes it is hidden sin and you know, that people are going to try to say, well, if, and that's got to be it. If they're not going to be unforgiven, they're, they're, they feel they've got something over you that if others knew about, you know, that you would have a hard time. So sometimes what you do is you cut them off at the pass, and you just let other people know what it is that they've got over you, and you, you shortcut it. Because you know, now they can't tell it because it's been told and their, their power is, is broken. Now the problem there is if it's something so bad you don't want people to know, you may have a more you know, a problem. Um, and it's really bad if they've got something that's not even real. And, and there's lots of times that people are angry about something that's not even real. And we see that a lot of times when somebody's mad at somebody for 30 or 40 years and you know, they're mad because they said something mean to them 30 years ago and the person doesn't even realize they said something mean. You know, they're not being affected at all by this person being mad at them. And this person has just built up all these, uh, you know, this person said, said such and such. And usually what that is also curtails is you assign a motive. You know, you, they said this because this is what they were thinking. Well, you don't know what they were thinking, so you don't, you, you've got to drop that, letter, that next part, you know, you've got to drop that part of assigning the motive because you don't know what they were thinking. And I've heard people tell me this, well, I know what they really meant. They said this, but I know that they really meant this. Well, how do you know? Well, I just, I've known them for years. I know that that's what they meant. No, you don't know anything, and you're assigning a motive, and you will be angry with that person for no reason. And even if it was their motive, is it really worth being angry over? You now, when, when Jesus told the disciples that you are to love your, love your neighbors and forgive others, you know, Peter came up with this real great idea, you know, seven times, you know, do we forgive him seven times? And he figured he was being magnanimous. That was more than what God ever said in the scriptures. You know, he's, you know, in God's word, it was two or three times in revenge time. You know, and so Peter's feeling like, I'm being really generous. I'm, you know, God, if I forgive him seven times, that's, that's the number for completion, right? That's the, the perfect number. That's. That's a, good, that's a good number of forgiveness. And what was Jesus' answer? Seven times 70 seven. times 7. And he didn't mean 490 times. 80, 90, he just said, keep going. It was an idiom that just said, don't count. You know, and this is important for us, to be able to forgive people, even when they're trying to hold something against us, even when they're trying to... to Bring us down for whatever reason. What was the number seven times seven hundred or seventy times seven? Oh, seventy times seven, or four hundred and ninety times. Yeah. And it wasn't meaning four hundred and ninety times. Yeah. It was yeah. just yeah, meant no. keep going. Four hundred and ninety. You, you thought you thought seventy. You you thought seven was good. I want you to go seventy times oh, seven. <laughs> you know, uh, but it's very important for us that idea of. And it goes back to what we talk about a lot in Psalms class. God is our defense. Mm -hmm. And if he's my defense, I'm really not caring what people are doing or saying because it's his business to protect me. And this is important for us. This is where a lot of our victory comes in when we can just sit back and say, God, I'm trusting you. Mm -hmm. God knows that I may think I know their motives. God knows their motives. He knows what they're trying to accomplish. He knows whether I've sinned against them, and he'll let me know that I need to go and apologize to them and say, hey, I'm really sorry. Would you forgive me? And he may even tell us to do that, even though there's nothing to be sorry for. But he says, go express that to somebody and, and start to break the, the back of it. Jesus said, when you come to the altar to offer your sacrifice, and you remember that, you have, that you're have that your brother has ought against you. Not that you have aught against your brother, but that your brother has ought against you. Leave your sacrifice at the altar and go try to make peace, okay? Now that is not what the world, that's not what the flesh wants to say, is it? If I'm angry at him, I can understand that I have to go deal with it. But the idea that I need to deal with it because they're angry with me, You know, especially if I don't think I did anything wrong. And yet God's saying, go make peace or attempt to make peace. Very important for us. God says that we're to make peace. He sent his son to make peace with us, even though he was not guilty of the breach that we had. We were guilty. And he sent his son to be the peacemaker. And he expects us to do the same thing. To be able to say, I'm sorry, I didn't mean to offend you. It's very powerful. It's a very powerful. You can't do over, you know, don't overuse it, don't pretend because if you go to somebody and just say the words, I'm sorry, it's just like, the, you know, when you send your kid, you know, uh, you go apologize to your brother for hitting them. Oh, I'm sorry. <laughs> I'm sorry yeah. I offended you. So, going to." Yeah, wait till wait till later. I'm gonna get I'm gonna get back because I had to say I'm sorry. I'm gonna get back at you. You know that enforced apology did not work. (laughs) You know, so if we don't mean it, it is better not to do it than to go do it and not mean it. And people know the difference. People know when people are being truthful in what they're saying. Uh, When somebody says I'm sorry, and they know that you're just saying it because you feel obligated to say you're sorry, they know that that's, that's what you mean. If they don't feel the love behind it, then they're going to know that it's not right. Um, and we've talked about this at various times, you know, the, the old preachers joke, two guys trying to get the same job, both talking about hell, one gets a job, one doesn't. And the one who didn't get it was the better preacher, you know, had all the, the details and the history. So he went to the people and go, well, why did he get it? And not me He goes when he spoke about it, it was obvious he didn't want people to go there when you spoke about it we felt like you wanted people to go there okay he was just telling them how it was he was telling it how it was and you know it was almost that attitude of you know yeah just i don't care if you go there it doesn't and the is other the guy way? was i you know i don't want anybody to go there you know and this is what you you know this is where we're at are we truly wanting to see god lifted up and people brought to him If we are, then that's going to come across in our attitude. It's gonna come across in the desire to say nobody should wanna go to hell. And if we truly understood the awfulness of hell, we wouldn't want anybody to go there. And I guarantee you, if you really start to understand the awfulness of hell, eternity being punished, and not just being punished, literally being the worst punishment you can think of for eternity, even Hitler, who was as bad as he was, doesn't deserve to go there for eternity. Hell People was not. Say, oh, hell is your own earth. Yeah. No, they don't know what it is. They don't know what it is. Most Christians don't know really what hell's all about. But by the flip side, we also don't know what heaven's all about. Mm-hmm. Uh, Heaven is so much more than anything I can think of, and hell is so much worse than anything I can think of. Now I will, and I have said this, that for the person headed to hell, this earth is is as close to heaven as they're ever going to get. They're going to be looking back at this earth in such longing, saying, I wish I was back on earth. As bad as it was, they're going to be looking at it as, as heaven. And for us as Christians, this is as close to hell as we're going to get. And it's nowhere close to hell But we'll look back and we're gonna say, boy, I'm so glad I'm not on earth anymore. You know, all that bad and corruption and trouble. I am so glad I'm not there. And I'm not, so when I say that, I'm not saying that it really is either one, but when in comparison to what they're gonna, where where you will spend eternity, it will look either like, if you're in hell, it will look like, it will look like heaven. You know, you're gonna wish that you were there, you know, and from heaven we're gonna say, man, I'm so glad I'm no longer there. You know, all the bad, all the evil, all the stuff that was going on. I'm so glad I'm not there. You know, and so it's very important that we learn the part of here. All right, verse 6, let's get into the actual trespass offering. He shall bring his trespass offering unto the Lord for his sin which he has sinned. A female of the flock, a lamb, or a she-kid of the goats for a sin offering, And the priest shall make an atonement for him concerning his sin. We want to flip back to Leviticus 1.4 for just a moment. Because this is where we talked about the burnt offerings. And he shall put his hands on the head of the burnt offering, and it shall be accepted for him to make an atonement for him. Okay? The burnt offering. And what we're going to see as we get into this trespass offering, there is a lot of the elements of the trespass offering that go back to the voluntary offerings. So does anybody remember the voluntary offerings that we've been talking about? Sure, you want it, uh-huh. you do it out of your own free will. Yeah, but do you remember what what, what, the, what the what the three uh, uh, three voluntary ones were? The meat offering. The meat offering or the meal offering, the the offering of of your your produce. The the burnt offering, which was the picture of total commitment to to God, and then what was the other one? Chapter three. Anybody write wrote notes on there? Meat, fruit. It was the one where where you offered God the ob, ob, oblation of food again. Uh, and it was to be showing communion with God. It was the one that you got part of the food and God got part of the food. Remember that offering? Is that a peace offering. Peace offering. There you go. <laughs> the peace offering. And and the peace offering was a communion with God. One, one pastor, one pastor I heard talk about it was like a picnic. You brought in this great big bullock. God got the the liver and the fat and the and the kidneys and and then the, the right shoulder cut against the backbone was lifted up and waved to God, and then that was given to the priest, and that was the priest part of it, and then you got to take the rest of the carcass home, and depending on what level you were offering it, you were able to eat it for two or three days, and at the end of three days or two days, depending on you know, the reason for it, you burnt, burned anything left. So it was a kind of, and I kind of like the guy's idea, it was a picnic with God, it was, it was a communion time. God, God got his portion of food that was burnt on it, the, the priest got their portion, and then you got basically the lion's share. Yes, that's the heave offering. That was part of the heave offering, yes. When you read about the heave offering, that's part of the peace offering where they take the part that go, that's going to go to the priest and they lift it up, saying, God, this is, this is the sacrifice, and then it goes to the priest. The priest got most of their meat from these offerings, mm-hmm. Okay. And remember on the burnt offering, what part of the what part of the burnt offering did the priest get? Does anybody remember? They got the hide of the cow. Oh, if it was a bullock. Huh? And that was very valuable. The hide would be tanned down into leather and and made into all kinds of stuff. So it was a very valuable part that they got. Yeah, they burnt the liver and then everything else was burnt on the burnt offering. So they trying to kind of remember some of these things because the burnt offering was one of those that represented Jesus, and you know, and if you remember the burnt offering, there was the the bullock, or it could be a or a lamb or a goat, turtle lamb. or it could be the turtle dove, or that's as low as the burnt offering went was the turtle dove, uh, and if it was the lamb, it had to be a male, and and what side of the what side of the altar did the male have, male lamb have to be? killed on? Yes. North. North. <laughs> and why did it have to be on the north? So that's the side that Jesus was crucified. On. Jesus was crucified north of the temple on Calvary. All right. So, trying to trying to bring these things out because we want to, I don't want to be wasting my time, but I, I, these are beautiful things when we start seeing how they show Jesus. How they show Jesus in all of these offerings. Not really, wasting like, yeah. No, but I just want to keep bringing them out, trying to get them stuck in the brains. Some of these I only remember because I've studied them so much. So. You've got the notes right there. Well, I've also got notes in my Bible too, but you know, but I've studied these over over 40 years. I've studied these over and over again. But even I have to refresh my mind when I do Leviticus. I have to refresh my mind over all these offerings and how do they picture Jesus and. And all of this. But this offering for the trespass is for atonement. And what does atonement mean? At one minute. At one minute, minute, to make one. A little more than at one minute, but that's a good way to remember the gist of it. It is really to make yourself perfect so that you are able to fellowship with God. But at one minute is a, you know, you start there as long as you know that it's deeper. (laughs) All right. And. We've got five minutes. Let's talk about verse 7. And if it not be able to bring a lamb, he shall bring for his trespass, which he has committed, two turtle doves or two young pigeons unto the Lord for a sin offering and for a burnt offering. Okay, so we're getting into the, the burnt offering, the total commitment to God and the sin offering, which they put their hand on the animal, confessed their sins, and that animal was killed and and split between God and the priest. Okay. Uh, and these turtle doves or pigeons—it's hard to believe that somebody couldn't bring a turtle dove or pigeon. But God actually makes provision for those who couldn't get a turtle dove or a pigeon. They don't and that is the flower. And so let's look at verse eight. He shall bring them to the priest, who shall offer that which is for the sin offering first, wringing its neck. What did we talk about when we talked about the wringing of the neck of the of the uh, sin off of the uh, burnt offering? What did the ringing of the neck show us a picture of with the blood around the edge of the edge of them? With Jesus. Mm-hmm. Having to do with Jesus, the crown of thorns. Oh, wow. All right. That they shall not disassemble and he shall sprinkle the blood for the sin offering upon the sides of the altar and the rest of the blood shall be wrung out at the bottom of the altar. It is a sin offering. They, blood flowed freely in the temple. And they say that on a Passover Sunday at the Temple of Solomon uh, of uh, Herod, that the blood would flow down, would be flowed down the hill, down a creek into the in, to the Kidron cr- uh, Creek, and it would turn the turn the creek red. That much blood was flowing down to the river, uh, and we can't even picture this. This doesn't make sense to us. Cortez. Yeah, yeah. They did. Uh, they, it was said that in, in Jerusalem in the time of Jesus, that they would they would sacrifice some three hundred. I think it was three hundred thousand lambs for the population that came to Jerusalem because it would be like three million people, and it was ten people per per lamb. You know that would be sacrificed. It was the king of Herod. Herod Herod built that to the second the the second temple. Uh, so you imagine that much blood being flown and in 24 hours. I mean, because these lambs were all killed in 24 hours. $300? Yes, that was a lot of priests. And usually what they would do, it wasn't just the priests killing these lambs at that point. It was all the Levites would kill. <laughs> they, they just, they mobilized everybody for this holiday to kill these lambs. And they, slit their throat. And they would slit their throat and, and drain all the blood out of them. Except for the little bits they sprinkled sprinkled around, but most of the blood was drained and just flowed off. You know, the power of this, Cortez, the, the Spanish explorer, when he hit uh, Central America and his, and South America, in his memoirs, he talked about the sacrifices from these temples to the to the false gods, and it angered him. It angered him so much that this much blood was flowing that. You know, he was supposed to go there with good intentions. He went there with good intentions to preach the gospel. And he got angered and he s- just slaughtered people because he was just so angry about the blood and the sacrifices. And this is in his memoirs. You know, it's in a sad a sad story. He went there with good intentions to bring the gospel with the missionary, with the priest, and then he ended up destroying people because he just got so angry at the sacrifice. Uh well, then they sacrifice humans.
1: But they were also
0: sacrificing humans and everything, but, you know, um, but in this case, it's like God says, here's your sin offering and here is your burnt offering. And then the last step, we're just going to look at the last step on this. Uh, verse 11. And if he be not able to bring two turtle doves or two young pigeons, then he that is sin sinned shall bring for his offering a tenth part of an ephah if, of fine flour for a sin offering and he shall put no oil on it, neither shall he put any frankincense thereon for it is a sin offering. Offering now an ephah EF, an is approximately three gallons of oil, or three gallons, um, or it is about a eight, uh, eighth of a bushel. If, if you know any of those measurements, so I'm trying to, I tried to bring it down to different things. So the amount that they were offering is about 0.6 of a gallon, so just over half a gallon worth of flour or 1-80th uh, one, uh, one uh, of a bushel, it's a very little part of a bushel, or about 2.4 quarts of flour. Now this fine flour, who remembers what, we discussed this fine flour. Does anybody remember what this fine flour was? Yeah. Like cornstarch. It ends up being like cornstarch. You you did a lot of work for this fine flour. Okay, In regular flour, you took all, all the, the husks and the stems, but you left the out the outer part of the the wheat berry, and you crushed the wheat the wheat berry and the the outside husk of it, and you just ground it down, and it's like you know it's like what we consider the whole wheat whole wheat, whole wheat flour, flour. And, I, and we're talking about the true whole wheat flour. It you made bread or cake out of this stuff, and it it weighed a lot. I you look know, this flour was that you actually took the time to crack the wheat, take just the little tiny nut, kernel of it, and you were making very pure flour. So if you weren't able to do any of these other things, anybody had access to wheat because all you had to do was go to the fields and the corners of the fields weren't going to be, you know, and do some gleaning and you could have some wheat. Then you'd have to take the time to, you know, so this is really a lot of work to get this flour. Because it isn't just you get rid of the stems and, you know, and all of that and, and, and shake off the, the chaff. You actually broke it up. you know. And for me, it's hard enough doing something like a sesame, uh, uh, doing a sunflower seed. I can't even imagine trying to, to sit there and crack all the, the weed and getting basically down to the wheat germ, you know, the very inside of it. But this was a precious flower that they were to bring. It, it took time. You, you know, you could make it yourself. It just took time or you went out and you spent, you know, money to buy this good flour. And it had no oil in it. Okay, remember on the burnt offering, they're going to put oil in it. And what does oil represent? The Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit. What did, does anybody remember what we said the flour represented? The flour represents the flesh that has been totally crushed. Okay, it is from the ground. It is it is the flesh and it's totally crushed in the burnt offering You added the Holy Spirit in it. You added the frankincense, which is the prayers and the and the incense of the of it This one for the sin does not have the Holy Spirit in it does not have the the prayers It is just the flesh that has been crushed being offered and what they do is they just take a handful of it. The priest would take a handful of this offering the flower, throw it on the fire, they got to keep the rest of the flour. And this flower was nicer in one sense, I guess, because they didn't have all the oil and everything in their in their flower. But they they offered a memorial and they kept the rest. All right? You know, Pastor I can remember their would take his corn to the field and have it ground for cornmeal. they would be. There's two types of cornmeal and I'm sitting here trying to think. One of them had husky stuff in them, they had the and the other did. But I can't think of the name of this. I don't know the name of it, but I, it's the same picture we're having yeah, here I of the wheat. I was thinking of this corn, yeah. and I cannot think of the name of the. Yeah. The and you, you, that you didn't th- have the husky in yeah, because they, they took away the, they actually had to crack it and get down into the germ for the, the better, the better cornmeal. And this is the, this, that is the same type of thing we're talking about here. You know, you have the general flour that was heavy and and the, the regular flour was heavy and it was impure because it had all that stuff in it. So it, it really represented man because here's all your sin with the, with the little tiny husks and everything and the fine flour. Is the best that you can do for God. All right, let's go ahead and close the prayer. Lord, we thank you for this evening. We thank you for the the looking at this the trespass offering, Lord, the idea that you give us the opportunity to be forgiven, that you make provisions for it, and we just ask that you help us to to, to live and to, to to go forward in that. And we just thank you in Jesus' name. Amen.